Hello, Hello. this is yeah. Robin Lynch. Yep. Welcome to I, Robin I know, and Josie. I used to know Christmas. Oh, we haven't. That was a terrible start, wasn't it? You started Sorry. off well. Hello, this is Robin Ince. Uh, welcome to Robin and Josie's Utter Shambles. Today we've got five people in the studio, which is the most we've ever had in situ. Hello, I'm Josie Long, and uh, do me, do me, do okay. like how I am. <laughs> I'm Josie Long, and I'm, oh, I've got too many grapes in my mouth. Oh, hang on a minute, I wasn't expecting it to start now. You say something, Izzy. Hello, my name's Danielle Ward. I've got a bloodshot eye. <laughs> the, um, now, as he said to you, we should, to, before we introduce everyone, we should say you were cut off there with an anecdote about Christopher Casanova. Mm. Just and that, that I, I used to know Christopher Casanova, unfortunately, he's no longer with us. But oh, was, isn't he? Yeah, we were, no. so, have you broken that to me a bit harshly? When did he die? Um, about um, the year or year and a half ago, oh, I think. Really but we went for a drink in now. Kennington because um, some friends of mine know him, and it was a really great night. And Aww. then at the end, we all had Horlicks and Kalua. I can't remember if he was there then, but that was I had a massive favour of drinking Horlicks and Kahlua whenever I was drunk. It's amazing. Where do you go? What pubs do you go to that have... Because sometimes it's hard to get a coffee. I wouldn't have expected Horlicks to be, you know, along the optics. It's, uh, no, it was at our house. Oh, okay. it, it would be amazing if pubs served Horlicks, though. Mm. You just have people just <laughs> nodding off in the corner. Yeah. Just, yeah. is a bit like Horlicks, I suppose, or same consistency. Have you ever warmed up Advocar? Doesn't it you. split like a hollandaise sauce? Ah. <laughs> That's Danielle Ward That's there joining Danielle us there. Uh, and welcome to our uh, In Memory of Christopher Casanova and Horlick special. He was Christopher <laughs> Casanova, one of the great uh, kind of late 70s, early 80s, always played um, earls and lords and uh, occasionally scurrilous, perhaps uh, almost, almost thieves. Uh, mm. I would say it was Casanova, Havers, McCorkindale. Uh, are kind of there's a little group, isn't there? Really, yeah. Also, sadly, Simon Corkner and Richard Herring is yes, our our third guest. But we're not here to talk about Horlicks, annoyingly, or the career of Christopher Casanova, Simon Corkendale, um or Nigel Havers. Um, we're going to. This is our Edinburgh special. Uh, I don't like that we've got themes now. It's well, so do you know what? You know, you don't like there being a theme. Yeah. Well, you know, we had that one the other day, which had a theme. Yeah. Well, you managed to show your derision for the theme by never really talking about it. <laughs> we didn't have a theme in the end. What yeah. was the <laughs> well, it was kind of Rufus Hound actor. We were looking at the mind of Rufus Hound actor versus the mind of Rufus Hound comedian. And what clashes there were within that? And also, of course, Rufus Hound uh, panellist, game show panellist. Was and Rufus Hound present? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. It wasn't just like, <laughs> today we examined. I bet he had a lot to say about it. Yeah, no, he's, 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 he's the best person to ask. Him. I also saw him cry on stage. You're going to cry on stage? No, I saw Rufus Hound cry on stage. Oh, yeah. oh well, what happened? Him and his wife were going through a rough patch. <laughs> right, so, so far we found out Rufus Hound... <laughs> That's really sad. <laughs> Are you sure it's his wife? Hang on, how what long was ago was this? Oh, it might have been his girlfriend. How long ago was this? Uh, <laughs> sorry, <laughs> about seven years ago. Yeah, yeah, that was before he's, he's very happily married oh, with his okay. wife. And, uh, yeah. So, Christopher Casanova's dead. Rufus Hound wasn't happy seven years ago. And, Richard, your career's, of course, had a few ups and downs as well, yeah. hasn't it? Yeah. <laughs> well, we'll start off because Edinburgh Fringe Fest, when this goes out, it's all starting. And you, I think, I would imagine around this table, you is this the 24th year you've done it's the Edinburgh Fringe? It's my 25th anniversary. It's actually my 21st separate Fringe I've done. I missed three quite early on, and then I've missed two since 1992. And what was it when you first went? So you went up in the late eighties, part of yeah. the uh, Oxford Review. Yeah. With uh, it was you, Al Murray, Stuart Lee, Ben Moore, it was, uh, yeah, Emma Kennedy, Armando Unici was the year before ish, uh, David Schneider, 
all sorts of people, yeah. And when you went up there, what were your expect? Because now, of course, people do realise when they go up there that uh, it's a trade fair. They're going to hopefully get a good review from uh, like three weeks or something like oh, that. Sh- and then when they bring that back down to London, people will, you know, the doors will open. Yeah, there was a lot less competition then. Although, it, but it, it was just an interesting point when we went up as students because alternative comedy had basically taken over the fringe. So we came up as students doing the Oxford Review and were basically just pilloried and attacked and not, oh, physi- really? not physically. Yeah, well, actually, Keith Allen came to the first night, the press night, uh, and moved some crash mats, heckled the first sketch, <laughs> walked out and punched the theatre manager, <laughs> and, then, and then reviewed the show going, the Oxford Review, as you'd expect, shit. And now on to the next thing. So <laughs> there was this very, and we got booked in to do the Gilded Balloon and uh, late and live and then just it seemed I think like it probably hadn't been set up but it seemed like every stand-up comedian in the in town had come just to heckle us so we kind of went on stage and we're just barraged by all I was looking to the audience and seeing all these people that I respected and thought oh, this is you know I want to do this as my job and all these people hate me for no reason so it was like a really odd point to go up so I I, we, I don't think we went up with any expectations of anything happening we just kind of hoped to get out alive although I think when you're young you sort of think oh maybe maybe someone will see me and I'll get my own show on ITV uh, and be that Al Fresco, uh, but um, Al Fresco uh, yeah. for some of our uh, was uh, Robbie Coltrane, Emma Thompson, yeah. uh, Fry, Laurie, and who was Ben Elton, ben Elton as well. So there we go. Just because yeah. some of the people, a lot of people listening to this weren't alive. No, they weren't, uh, including people around this table. Possibly weren't alive when Al Fresco. <laughs> well, you know, first a lot of people out. weren't alive when I, most of the people who will be performing at Edinburgh weren't alive when I first performed <laughs> in Edinburgh. It was a terrifying, <laughs> horrible thought. Uh, so yeah, it was actually. I mean, we just had. It was just a bar. The first year was a little bit different. Eighty-seven because we were. In, we would. It was me and Stu and a few other people, Emma Kennedy, in a sort of little lunchtime review and it didn't get much, you know, no one came to see it basically so we weren't expecting much of that but then the next year I was in the Oxford Review um, that Stu and me wrote uh, and so yeah, we, you know, we just weren't really given a chance to, to do any of our stuff. When you saw Keith Allen punch the, the like the manager, yeah, did you think that's the kind of punch that would suggest he would be good playing an angry tooth fairy in a mouthwash advert? <laughs> do you think you would have thought I would have done? It could have been the star of a mouthwash advert. I find it hilarious that he's sent, by, sent his children to their private schools because he's such a rebel, isn't he? Um, I was going to. Well, what are they least expecting me to do? <laughs> oh, <laughs> do you see? <laughs> oh. um, you know what I did last year? I was researching the book that I am still to finish, um, and I went into the archives um, of the Oxford Review, and I found loads of scripts that you and Stuart wrote when wow. you were like nineteen, twenty, and it's all in Stuart's handwriting. And <laughs> oh. they, they were good sketches as well. I was reading Yeah, and photocopied as well, like half typed, half handwritten. Yeah, See, my first joke of yours, I, I remember hearing, but even that was sometime I was, was uh, you used to do a, a routine uh, in which you confused uh, Salmon Rushdie with Willie Rushton. Yeah, I did. Which I imagine was... Yeah, I did a character. Uh, I did an old... I did a sort of precursor to the pub landlord a little bit in that he was a sort of like a Somerset old man, sort of slightly xenophobic and confused. And so got everything wrong, you know, so it would all be like, you know, what about that? What about that Salmon Rushdie? What about those Ayatollah Hominy? Given that death threat against Willie Rushton, what's he done? What's he ever done? All that sort of thing. So it was, you know, it was, <laughs> it was this kind of stupid old man character that I did at college, and then it, I think I tried to do it in, you know, in the circuit when I first came to London, with uh, largely not succeeding. 
I, I was very when I first came to stand up in London, I was really confused. I'd done so. I've been so into doing sketches, and I and because of all this experience I had in Edinburgh, I kind of hated all stand ups and kind of felt they hated me. So I, I felt like it was a battle, and I didn't really want to get. I didn't really want to become a stand up. I wanted to do sketches and prove that actually sketches were the best. Uh, and uh, I, it was a battle that I slowly lost against myself and realised I was wrong. But so, so I kind of was doing when I came to London. I was sort of doing character stuff, and then got really confused and bogged down in trying to. Be my be a version of myself or be myself, and it just didn't really work for a couple of years, really. See, when you first did it, though, I, I would have thought because I, I went up to Edinburgh not as a, as an act when I was when I was uh, eighteen, nineteen eighty seven, yeah. and uh, it seemed quite a joyous thing. Whereas now, by about the second week, you will start to see people, you know, weeping openly in the streets. There is a sense of utter failure and a realization of your own bankruptcy. Yeah, and and this kind of you know, basically, it's 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 a it was it's a, it's a really kind of a, it's a hideous painting, isn't it? Oh, of, stop uh, it. It's, it's a Bosch. It's a Hieronymus Bosch image of, uh, yeah, of a bunch heaven. of comedians like small legged shells being beaten. Yeah, no, uh, but it's I, all not. over by the first Tuesday, isn't it? You know no. who's going to win. Come on, guys! I think I, I don't think I enjoyed it till about the last. Five. I've only enjoyed the last five years. So you, you've yeah, did, I've you've done did. it. I've done it all those times, and I've just been miserable most of the time. I love it. I love doing. I love the the festival. And I love the kind of ability, you know, the thing to go and do the show. But it's it's sort of so frustrating when people aren't coming or when you get bad reviews or you know or just you're losing loads of money. And in the last five years, I've kind of n- enough people come. That I know I'm going to be have a nice time and not lose money. And, and the reviews don't really matter. And I'm not up for any awards. Mm. And so I can just do the shows and really enjoy the shows. And I, and and I can't go out and get drunk and. You know, all the other things I used to go up for. You know, it's almost the reverse. I used to, I used to go up because it was my holiday, and I'd get drunk and and talk to girls, which I never did for the rest of the year because I never met any, and get overexcited. And now I'm just be live very unhealthily and put on three stone. Now I go to Edinburgh, go to the gym every day, just do my shows and go yeah, to bed. I do, I do, um, <laughs> going swimming in the sea, getting a bike, or going to the gym every day, seeing all my friends, um, not reading reviews at all. Uh, and it's great. It it's is great. Not really what about reviews, when someone sends you a text going, sorry about that review? <laughs> oh, well, I we'll get on to, yeah, that really is definitely, uh, that's something, but we're, in fact, Danielle, we'll ask you about that now. The, I want so to, I do, I'd love to hear, I would love to see how it. that sound is expressed in a text. <laughs> yeah, me well. too. Probably an emoticon. Yeah, for it. Must be, yeah. But what I tend to do, like now, I'll just be mean. Like if somebody's like that, I'll be like, we're well, not mean, I'll just not hide my exasperation I'll be like I don't read reviews it's actually very unhelpful and if you think about why you said that it's kind of weird you shouldn't have said that yeah. well, goodbye that's, that, that, that's part of the madness that happens but I mean uh, Danielle what was the first year you did the uh, the Edinburgh Fringe Festival in in 2004 I did some open spots and then 2005 I did a, a show full length show with Roisin Connerty and we all lived together to her. we all lived together I washed your pants yeah, you in the bath because yeah. the washing machine broke. Yeah, I remember you were cl- slightly you annoyed by Jyoti after a while, weren't you? Because you felt she put no effort into the cleaning. I remember that now. No. Oh, it's seven years ago now. Let's not worry about it. So that, that was your. And what was your when you went up there? First of all, your expectation as you went. You were playing uh, one of the the caves. I, I was think, in the caves. You? Yeah, we were in the caves. Um, well, I, I don't know. There wasn't really. There wasn't really a lot of expectation because I was doing a two-hander. So you know that you're not eligible for any awards and the, the best you can get out of it is maybe some gigs. I think it was when... I found... The weird thing for me with Edinburgh is I didn't take a, a stand-up show up, which is where you become famous and you get all the telly work for like a good four years. I, I just did stupid plays and a weird musical. So I sort of burnt the bridge of, of being an exciting newcomer by doing really weird stuff. And then by the time I did do a stand-up show, no one was interested. Well, the, but what was you, you were saying that, that picking up on that thing where... Because I, I think over the particularly that month in, of, of August, there are 
people who I go, oh, I didn't know you were like that. The, the, the fear, the financial fear, and the, 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 the amount of retweeting of casual compliments. I had to stop following Paul Daniels last year on Twitter <laughs> because, but not just everyone, you know, it will just be, you know, you know, uh, you know, Matt Sorbet, saw Matt Sorbet last night, enjoyed it, retweet, I'm Matt Sorbet, I'm Matt Sorbet. <laughs> I, I, Matt, Matt Sorbet, quite like, that's Matt, a beautiful Matt, name. Matt, Matt, Matt Sorbet is just, a, shh, I may be Matt Sorbet. <laughs> I am, um, I don't go on Twitter. I don't go on Twitter during the... But not even just Twitter. The whole thing is suddenly people you thought were quite nice yeah. will come up to you I'm and go, um, how's it going? And before you've answered, they go, because I just got four stars and get loads of people and everything's going really well for me. I've had TV people. They're very, very interesting. Well, everything's really, really good. Well, that's why there's a couple of comics who I've only just started to like personally again because when they were first off in Edinburgh, they'd come up to me in the street going, oh, I've had an amazing... I'm not going to do the impression because then you'd know who it was. I've had an amazing time. I've just got four stars and I'm writing a sitcom and all these things are happening. I'm like, just... Hang on, let's work that. Up. Who's recently had four stars and has written a sitcom? <laughs> and you'd recognise them from their accent. I think it's a sing-songy interpretation of the voice. Yeah. So, yeah, but that, that thing where, so you've got not only... What? <laughs> Do it again. Just mouth it towards the microphone so the audience at home can... Oh, yeah. Who? Um, who? <laughs> <laughs> I still don't know who it is. Reach it. Was it me? So, um, anyway, so, um, so th- this thing where you were saying, that. Daniel, though, <laughs> sorry, I'll, I'll let you, but Daniel, so this thing as well where people will come up to you and uh, don't they normally do, it's, it's kind of, I suppose kind of the opposite of the humble brag or whatever it is, that, that thing where someone will go, uh, by the way, I have heard your show is great and I would certainly not listen to what Brian Logan in <laughs> the Guardian yes. has said. Yes, and you just think, oh, do you know? Because I think, especially if you don't court it, like I don't, I don't read reviews. I don't go on Twitter for the month of August. I don't go on Facebook because I don't want. Do you know what? If you really hate my show, at least have the decency to send me a letter about it. Interesting. What's a proper abuse coming through the post? Um, and, and if you hate you my really show, don't sensitive. send me any letters. I don't, you can send me letters. Send but letter it's got to, to be my home address, otherwise it doesn't book. count. <laughs> um, yeah, I do. I, so it's not just a fear of reviews. Like, like, There's not that kind of, oh my God, I don't want to read something awful about myself. I just, I have got to the stage where I just sort of don't care. Mm. Like, you just think, but that's what I think that's I think very, that's who fantastic cares what these people think? But yeah. as well, I realised something which was, in 2005, I got my first properly bad review in the papers. Like, which show um, was that for? That was for a th- two hundred I did with my friend Dan Nightingale. Oh yeah, I remember that great show. Great stand up in Enjoyed Manchester. That show. Thank you. Yeah, uh, and in it, it was I remember it exactly. It was um, because Stuart Lee had taken me out on tour that year, and like just that like changed my life. And meant in I a desperate bid to destroy her, as he often <laughs> so does with younger comics. Yeah, he, we had a car crash. He tried to <laughs> no. Um, and um, he. Uh, it was from Brian Donaldson, who used to run the list, who really d- doesn't like me at all, and has basically written two reviews in which he's tried to make me stop doing comedy. And one of them was, lots uh, lots of people who should know better have said this is a good comedian. She may actually be the worst comedian in the universe, which is pretty categorical. And then a few years later he said... Everyone is so desperate for there to be a female comedian to rise above the dross, and Josie Long has the world at her feet, but she's not it, and she ruins it, and she pisses it all away, and she's all faulty starts, right? And both of those times, I felt genuinely like he wanted to stop me doing what I wanted to do. Yeah. And at the time, I was like, and especially as well when you get like loads of, after my first Edinburgh show, getting loads of like online abuse and stuff, uh, all those people wanted me to stop, and I was really scared that that would damage my career and my ambitions. I was like, oh, great, now all the people who 
I want to work with will stop working with me and all the TV people won't want me and blah, blah, blah. Government have brought in a bill <laughs> which is suggesting <laughs> Josie Long should be banned generally. Exactly. Made to live on Sark. Um, exactly. Which I would actually like because I like the... Um, you like tractors but you hate cool. cars. Exactly. So yeah. I've been Sark. Have you? True about the tractor car thing, isn't it? Yeah, very true. Yeah. But anyhow, then I realised this year, pardon me, that pretty much all the things that I've not achieved have been through my own ineptitude, bad luck, or just, you know, clash of personalities or whatever, or, you know, that kind of shit. And none of them had, there's no effect on any of, like, those reviews had no effect. I just kept no. going. Yeah, it's. And yeah. it's like, oh, yeah, it doesn't matter. Like, it well, really Well, no one else no noticed them. I think, so I think I do read them because I sometimes think occasionally someone will say something that's worthless. And I think, like, a lot of people say the same thing. But it's just like, but you kind of get a review from your audience, yeah. right? So you know, night after night, if you do the same show, you know the bit that works and that doesn't work, and then you work on the bit that doesn't work. So your audience mm. is your is your reviewer. Yes, it uh, has to be like that. It's yeah. a kind of communal process. And it's over a period of time. Sense. You know, you could do a show five times and a, and, a, and the joke doesn't get a laugh. You might tweak it, then it might work, or it might just suddenly start working. You know, you yeah. need to you need to do ten or fifteen shows, and then you've got an idea. But you will know, with the, you know, you'll get as you're doing Edinburgh, you'll know. You know I've got to really work on this bit of the show because there's something the pace drops here or whatever, I just need a new joke in here or whatever. And that's that, that that's your critic. But there are some critics, I think, will sometimes say something perceptive that might might help you. Uh, but not. I guess it's not worth it for the... <laughs> the well, I don't like that. My dad's got me on Google Alert. Oh, no. So he'll oh, know when no. I don't. Yeah. So so he'll know if they go, well, one of the Bryans in Scotland didn't like you very much. That sounds awful. <laughs> that, that happened that thing... to me when I did the Comedy Zone in 2005 and I didn't understand that edfringe.com. I didn't really, not very good with the internet anyway. I didn't understand there was a place where people could leave comments. And my mate from home, Caroline Ramiffin, was like, I'm so worried about you and I just want you to know that everyone in Matlock thinks you're really good. And when you come back here, I was like, what? And she was like, oh, I've just been looking at edfringe.com. I was like, oh no. And then I looked at it, it was just like really horrible comments. And I was like, oh, I know you think you're helping, but you know, there was a point where they're going to send food parcels and stuff. Especially one of the comments that went, I imagine everyone in Matlock hates her. (laughs) Get in contact. So what was it? That was that your first fringe, is he? No, that, um, Yes, I suppose it was. I did a show called Frog in Love in 2000. And what, based on the uh, wonderful Frog in Love books? Yes. Oh, You're I the like first that. person I've ever met. Max, oh, yeah, Max, Max uh, oh, sorry, that's the Frog in Love uh, alert there. <laughs> <laughs> just, just gone off. Or will not turn the phone off. Win a prize. That's I lovely. It's a work in here. Frog in I? Love, you'd like Frog in Love. Frog doesn't feel well and he doesn't know why. He's got all rumbly tummy. He's not feeling very well. It turns out Frog's in love. Oh. Yeah. Um, so you did Frog in sorry, Love. Yes. I did Frog in Love. I was, I was the rat who he fell in love with. Oh. Oh, that's Thanks. never going to work. <laughs> no, I know. I think it's a sort of um, uh, metaphor for like gay or gay relationships or something. Or you yeah, know, like everyone gay can... people are rats, right? <laughs> that's what you're saying. No. Yeah. Herring offends gays <laughs> and that? women. Um, I did that in what? 2003. <laughs> Uh, uh, or 2004 and I did a few stand-up spots then because I'd just started stand-up but the first run that I did of a comedy show as opposed to a kids show was in 2005 when I did the Comedy Zone with Russell Kane Mark Olver and Matt Green so that I mean that again I I think that that old men like Richard and me would have approached the fringe in a different way like when I first saw it I was a teenager the first thing I did was was a play called Shadow Walker which ended with really? uh, yeah how uh, old were you? I was uh, I was 19 with legs to die for and uh, (laughs) And I went up just being excited by the fringe, but by the time you were going up, and also you, that was a big agent who were running the the show, uh, and you feel under a lot of pressure. So did you did you go up thinking, oh, this will be fun, or did you up going, right, what's going to happen? You know, will this affect my career? Or Um, 
no, I felt that I should do the zone. I felt like it was a kind of rite of passage and I admired people who'd done it before. Um, and I, I knew I wasn't ready to do an hour. And I thought I'll probably lose less money if I do the zone than I would if I did like a two-hander. And it was quite a baptism of fire, really. And afterwards, it made me realise that I didn't really want to do weekend clubs and that I wanted to get... Because I just don't really go well in those environments. I don't feel that it helps me to be in them. So, And then that made me work towards doing more gigs that I liked doing for probably less money, which is the situation that I'm in now, but I'm a lot happier. What about when you're... I mean, you're doing a group show. You've got, got four comedians. Now, we were talking about the fact that even when you're doing solo shows, you're still going to bump into other comedians yeah. who are then going to say something which is ultimately meant to be facetious, but, you know, couched in the idea that it's said out of love. Now, you've actually got three people backstage with you as well. Was that difficult? Did you feel there was a real competition? Um, a, a bit, but this sort of pattern set itself up whereby I would normally die. Um, <laughs> it was like me when I was in a package show. Yeah, yeah me too. Day. Yeah, I did absolutely last time. Yeah. So what do you now sort I of accept? Now I just die on my own for longer, which is far more kind of... <laughs> nah. you know, it's more fulfilling in yeah. a way. More luxurious, um, like a spa treatment. You'd think that I would go on in the middle, which is um, traditionally the cushy spot, isn't it? But for some reason it worked better if I opened, uh, then I would sort of die a bit less than I would in the middle. Russell always closed, Oliver always compared and Matt Green went in the middle. But I remember there's all this writing on the wall of um, the cabaret bar that said stuff like, you can do it, guys, come on. And I remember it was, it was all, every night it was like a battle. I did feel sort of genuinely scared. But I used to go on to the Eels um, and I always knew if I was going to have a good gig because if the audience sang along. Because there was a stag party once in the front row and they sang along to the song as I walked on and I thought, oh, you're going to be all right. And then it was actually quite fun, but... Which one was it? Nobody came for the soul, or uh... no? It was. Do you know what it's like to fall on the floor, cry your guts out? Um, I also got paid to get off in the zone. Um, I got paid twenty pounds to get off because I was dying so. Hard. I remember seeing you. I that mean, night. Ed, that's a yeah. lot of. So that's the weird thing as well, though. Backstage in the room that you're in when you're doing the comedy zone are all these posters that go back about twenty years, and I imagine part of the horror is you see these people and go, "Oh no, look at that old, decrepit, hideous face." Now is this what comment? Apart from Chris Addison's poster, in which he looks slightly older at twenty three than he does now, but that 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 sense, I suppose, of, of of pressure when you're actually up there going, "All these people have done this thing. I've got to." Yes. How do you keep... Because I found that the hardest thing, which is when you're having a tough Edinburgh life. I've, I've had reason... The number of disasters, Howard Reed broke my arm, which meant that I couldn't actually move it unless I took loads of drugs, but I had to save them all before I went and meet... Prescription drugs before I went on stage. But then if I took them all before I went on stage, immediately in one fell swoop, that made me mentally, after the 20 minutes I'd done, quite yeah. ill, and I'd sometimes almost burst into tears on stage if I did a later Aww. gig. I didn't actually burst into tears, but it was that thing where you go, I, t- I think taking all the painkillers in one fell swoop <laughs> really affects you. And then, the, then there was the year where my house flooded with sewage and I lost everything I owned and I was doing a Radio 2 show that I had. All of these things. And there is a point where you go, time, August, has, this is one reason I wish I was doing a full run in Edinburgh, is at least it would mean I'd have a really long August. Because mm. mm. <laughs> I find there's a sense of time. Slow you down go time up, before death. You yeah. cross Berwick upon Tweed mm. and you get to Edinburgh and then it's the third day and you go, well, I've been here about four months, haven't I? How can it only be the third day? I mean, how? Yeah, what, I what is the tenacity? Or, jo- Josie, you, you know, of just keeping going when you you constant pressure and... And I didn't mean to... I saw, but I had that 2008. Yeah. It was my third solo show. And the first two had gone 
really well comparatively. Like the second one, I got loads of bad reviews, but it didn't seem to matter. Like well, that sounds like I only got bad reviews. I got good ones as well. Can I just say, by the way, later on we are going to do another bit of this show to make sure it doesn't sound like we're all rubbish. Because yeah. <laughs> four of you are actually going to Edinburgh. No, no, you're not, are you, Izzy? They're, they're, I'm not. You're going, aren't you, Daniel? Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, so yeah, this is. We are now. So just so you know, I will, uh, this is just the bad experience of Edinburgh. Everyone around this table has also received glowing reviews and is certainly considered by their peers to be often the highlight of their week. And also, I don't... I think that gay people are great and um, <laughs> the fact that Frog in Love was a metaphor for gay relationships, I just meant it was um, accepting that people could should be able to fall in love with anyone they oh, want. Ah! <laughs> <laughs> um, so, sorry, Josie, so yeah, I had, about, about tenacity. It wasn't that bad a year in retrospect, I suppose, cause, but it, for some reason, for me, it felt so difficult. Like The shows really were, everyone was into it or no one was into it, really, or it seemed that way. And um, I had it by about the 10th. I was so exhausted. And I was in bed in my flat, just on the phone, uh, to my boyfriend at the time being like I can't do it like an hour before the show and him being like we'll just come home you know it doesn't matter does it and I was like of course it matters I can't come home and then you just don't so this is Izzy what have you seen there or first of all personal experiences that have been uh, kind of going this this could only happen here because I do think again though we've been negative <laughs> no not that Josie just said a thing and I think it was a personal experience that we've if, lived together yeah we've lived years. together yeah. right if it's about any of the people that she used to have posters on her wall of and then later on got off with we're not I've doing those stories I've got off with nobody Izzy. not you I'm I'm talking about Izzy, Izzy living, now, in, living in a box did you and ever then... have pillow fights together that's what in your pyjamas that's what we Want Listen, right. I That's do. But I want to talk about my early experiences of Edinburgh. I, uh, my dad was Scottish, and he was from Edinburgh, so I used to go there a lot when I was a kid, and I saw loads of shows there. And when I was a student, when I was at the in the summer of my first year, I just got my parents had dropped me off in Edinburgh and had nowhere to sleep. I, I, I was actually thinking about committing. I was thinking, what crime can I commit that would put <laughs> me in a cell for one night, but not get me in any further trouble? Because I didn't have any money for a hotel. And um, we, uh, it was so much fun. I went to Leighton Live when it was in the old venue, the, the one that burnt down, and I oh, saw Johnny Vegas, great. and that was one of the most um, enjoyable and most sort of moving experiences of my life. Um, just seeing Johnny Vegas live for the first time and being in that room, it was so sweaty and kind of, you felt really anything could happen. And it's so intense as well, isn't yeah. it? Like properly. Yeah. I, it, See, I, I remember seeing, I, mine was seeing uh, Raw Sex, and Helen Ledra, Raw Sex, which I loved, which was uh, Ronan Riveron and uh, very sadly the late Simon Brent. Uh, and that, when I, uh, Raw Sex was my favourite thing. It was just Roland Riveron as this drunk guy. For those of you who don't know, too young to see it, they were on French and Saunders. They still kind of, and, until very recently, until Simon Brent died, uh, would do bits in the Idiot Bastard Band, which is also Phil Jupiter's and Neil Innes. And I just remember going, wow, this is amazing. And then I saw a play with Arthur Smith in it, I think called My Colombian Cousin, and going around and getting fly, when flyers were exciting. Yeah. You know, even now people who are visiting the fringe go this nuisance in my hand mm-hmm. go, wow what's this a new John Gobber play I'm so excited yeah. Stephen Burkoff they do Burkoff on the fringe I yeah. can't believe it I went and to Dario see Bo. loads of Burkoff and Ian Esco when I was at drama school which is all on my own I saw um, what's his name Count Arthur Strong for the first time that was the first thing that I'd laughed at so much I couldn't breathe I couldn't believe what he was doing and I, it just every bit he did was like <laughs> yeah when I was but 17 the thing to remember is that uh, sometimes when you go into a room and there's only like three or four of you there you, you know if, if you if, if, if we sell badly we think oh god they're probably all sitting there thinking what am I doing here you know actually when I used to go into a room and there was three or four of us there I often used to feel really excited, like this was a secret. You and, good. Yeah, yeah. You know, what, what's going to happen? There's only four of 
was here, you know, is it still going to go ahead? And I genuinely used to feel, I used to go and see, I went to see this Slovenian dance piece about goats and all, all these goats shouting. And there's like three of us there. And, oh, you know, I remember it forever. It, it's worth remembering that. I went to see Michael Smiley as well in the courtyard. I must have only been about 16, I think, and with my friend Hannah. And there was like two or three of us in the audience. And I, I remember that forever as well because he just still did the whole show brilliantly as if it was full mm. you know so easy, I once isn't saw it? a flamenco dancer in it was in London and uh, near Tottenham Court Road in a, in a big big room we were, went there to have drinks and there was like five people in the bar uh, and it's a flamenco dancer on and she just did this flamenco dance like the room was full like, like just did this amazing and I think only I was watching it and it was amazing I don't even like dance and it was amazing mm. and then you know you just sort of think that's what you've got to do when you when there's no one there you've just got to perform it as if it's a full room, or just do your, you know, just actually increase your confidence and be and do a brilliant performance. Did so she have a pillow learn, fight? You learn, Is that why you like? Pardon? It? Did she have a pillow fight? She didn't. No, <laughs> that would have improved it if she had at the end. <laughs> that was my favourite thing. I remember doing the Usual Suspects, which was an old BBC Scotland uh, radio cabaret show uh, in 1997, and uh, it ended with a flamenco right. dancer. Which is fantastic. So all you heard on the radio <laughs> was just the fantastic rhythm of the heel. Yeah, Nothing, yeah. Yeah. and and it was even I decided that I'd stop looking and imagine what it was going to be like on the radio. <laughs> but I think that you know Edinburgh is this, this emotional journey. It really is one of those the roller coaster, and that's what's amazing about it that you have those lows. And I remember being very had had an argument with someone, and you know the, the problem is like you go when you've been there so many years. There's so many corners of the town that have an unpleasant memory or, you know, that actually become kind of bittersweet as you get a bit older and further away from them. But that's the place where I fell in love with her and that's the place where we broke up and that's where this happened. Yeah. So, you know, I remember being very depressed and then going to see Arthur Smith's, um, the one he did in the, the Botanical Gardens. Mm. And it was just the most life-affirming, wonderful thing. And I went in, I went to see it feeling so unhappy and left feeling so happy. And it's just that kind of craziness of Edinburgh that within an hour, your whole mood and the way you look at the world can completely turn around. But that's what it is. You know, it's just this emotional thing. You've got, you're, you're worrying so much about your own stuff and then sometimes you get too internalised and then you can see something else and... and Well, that's the thing actually as well is try not just to go and see. For anyone who's listening, who's like a stand-up fan, go and see. Have you ever seen ridiculousness? Ridiculousness. There's a reason a lot of people don't go. I'd like to book tickets for ridiculous. What else is on? But they're they're amazing. There's the two guys who are there are two now. This great kind of physical theatre where they just did a whole show, which was just they were two men just talking to microphones, and then suddenly halfway through they leapt up and down like chickens around the whole room for a while, then just went back to the microphones. I mean, there's the brilliant great. bit about pu- the brilliant puppetry, Blind Summit, brilliant puppet company, do really funny, engaging puppet shows, and I just love Gork-a-go-go. it. Gorkagogo. I also think oh, Gorkagogo, fantastic. That's yeah. why I first saw. Mm-hmm. In fact, that's but, why I started the book club was because I saw loads of things in Edinburgh where I went, wow, there's loads of great things. Gorkagogo, yeah. who you must see. You can always. Yeah. What I think is, whenever you feel really worn out with stand up, or whenever you feel like, oh. I always find new young people or new weird people or people that I thought I'd put in one box doing something so different and so new that it's like a wellspring. It's always like coming. And I also think that like, now you've spent more than two years of your life living in Edinburgh, you know, and I'm nearly, I've nearly spent a year of my life living somewhere else. And, And it's such a weird thing because yeah, you accrue it over years. So it's like that, David Nichols' book, you know, yeah. I haven't read it, but you know, <laughs> um, it is, but yeah. you you have this secret of a life that builds in a. It's like Tom's Midnight Garden, is what it's like, because you go there for a little bit, you go away, and then you come back. Or like Narnia. Yeah, exactly. And then but you're like, why are you so old, Mister Thomas? <laughs> I just blinked. Yeah. Or David Eagleman's son. David Eagleman's son has that story where everything. I don't know if you have you read David Eagleman's son. 
fantastic collection of short stories and uh, it's various oh. different images of heaven and one of them is or the afterlife whatever you oh, want to call yes, it oh yes I do know that I have and it's that. got this great where everything is actually in one of the versions everything happens just in a block so you go into the loo that happens in a block that's just in one block <laughs> the two years you go into the loo oh, and your sleeping is in one big block and your eating is and, and of course what ruins it is there's no joy no excitement because there's no, nothing unexpected but then I was just thinking imagine that block of Edinburgh in that David Eagleman <laughs> summer story, that would be. Imagine so, would you? Like a, uh, I would like you now, just so we end on a, on a kind of uh, a, a happy note, because as we said, it is an amazing time where this this enormous amount of art occurs, and there 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 is, is sadness and happy. I think if you stop looking, going, what am I going to gain out of it? As you said, Rich, yeah. just go. Oh, I hope I have fun doing my show. Mm. So, what was J- Josie? My favourite things are I go swimming in the sea every year. And I take loads of strangers and we all have a, like a real ordeal of like, ah, and then afterwards we feel like a game. And I used to run a boggle tournament that was really fun. We oh, yeah, the boggle tournament that. was very I successful, might wasn't it? revive that. Not this year, though. Too tired. Yeah. Um, and I also loved Mark Watson doing 24-hour shows. Those were like anything where there's like a show possibly, but it's really a, like a comedian's fun gang competition. I really love anything that's sort of a bit silly and a bit Like karaoke circus. Fun. Yes, karaoke circus, in fact, yeah. is one of my absolute Edinburgh Are you doing highlights. It again I love year? it. No, we're not. Why it not? used to be my highlight until uh, the arrogant comedy management company Avalon came in for free no, round the back brilliant. way and then talked really loudly. Oh, of course, they no. were doing your, your yeah, and then were chucked out anyway and got into a lot of trouble. Out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was amazing. Yeah, the, my beautiful version of uh, Rolf Harris's uh, Two Little Boys. <laughs> I should one say the, the arrogant joyful. comedy management company Avalon uh, look after Richard Herring. They do, which is why he's the only one in here in a suit and That's shoes that are glued. <laughs> <laughs> the, uh, so he threw money at me earlier. <laughs> no, well, um, what, is he? Yeah, those money. Probably um, an office circus, ACMS, um, Alternative Comedy Memorial Society, which is quite a new kind of venture that's run by John Luke Roberts and Tom Tuck last year in the Pleasant. Karaoke Circus, I was very drunk when I did it and like threw myself on the floor. Most the people are very... It was like Tim yeah. Vine, when he really did Elvis drunk. Presley, he got a vinyl version of the uh, 68 Comeback Special Leather Suit, <laughs> yeah. which was... Uh, he couldn't put it on until he had to go on stage because the amount of sweat by the end of it <gasps> was uh, it was fantastic. Yeah, so good. Brilliant. Tim Vine is so good at karaoke. Yeah. He is, like, isn't he? His gib... Um, really goes his, um, What are they called? Bee Gees. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's incredible. To, he's good at that. Jokes and getting a pencil behind his ear. Yeah, that's or pen behind his ear, yeah, rather. I should say pen that. behind his ear. I'm looking at pencil. Uh, Danielle, what about you? Um, well, I, I don't want to blame my own trumpet. I've always really enjoyed doing karaoke circus for the simple fact that being on stage and not having to control a crowd is really nice. Like just, just knowing that I can do anything because I'm not having to speak. It's all just with an instrument. I've always loved doing that. Um, and also, when I've like, done the stupid musicals, because when you're a stand-up, you're obviously by yourself before you go on stage. And when you've got a cast around you, it's actually really lovely. And then you'll go out for a drink afterwards. That's what I'm going to miss this year. Because I'm doing a stand-up show and a play, but no one else is in the play. So, so yeah, you're doing different... You're, you're alternating. Hard. So you're doing a stand-up show one day and a play the other day. Yep. So Daniel Ward be excellent. Richard Herring? I think... Um I enjoy sitting in bars and talking to the old farts. I really enjoyed talking to Barry Cryer 
in one one afternoon. I think. Was it an odd link? Of course, you said the old farts. Yeah, Woody Rushton was, was two was old farts together. tonight. It's a show they did. So you know, it's just nice to kind of. I like that kind of. Hit. I like the fact that you can Barry cries there, and then uh, you'll you'll be chatting with some nineteen-year-old new yeah. comedian, and you kind of think, wow, that sort of spans sixty years. And if that kid lives till and still performing when he's seventy, you know, there's this kind of link. I love all that. The, kind of, the history of. I mean, it's sort of weird thinking this year when I first went up in nineteen eighty-seven. If you took twenty-five years off of that, that'd be nineteen sixty-two. So me, the for a new person going up now, I'm the equivalent of someone for me who went up in 1962 for the first time. So Michael Palin, not in, in terms of profile, yeah. but in terms of that kind of time, I think he was probably a little bit early. But that kind of group of people, so it's kind of, that history is incredible when you sort of think it like that and flip it around. So if if someone was, you know, if, if there was a 45 year old man performing at Fringe, which there obviously was in 1987, you know, that would be the mm. same. So I love that kind of. That kind of passing the torch down, the fact that when we did the Oxford the Oxford Theatre Group stuff in the early days, that's where they that's where the Oxford Theatre Group had they we'd stayed in a Masonic lodge and that's where the Oxford Theatre Group had always been for years and years. And there was stories passed down the generations. There was a story about Esther Ranson behind the uh, little uh, the little counter there was in this place. We I won't say what the story was because it's rude, <laughs> but it might not be true. <laughs> but it's kind of amazing that that's got you know that that got passed down the years because it's that little. It's what life is, isn't it? It's this little uh, life is Esther Ransom behind a counter doing something which can't be. That's life. Brilliant work, Josie. So I also wanted to just mention in, in terms of the audience because I do think that you do get some some very excitable and in a good way. Like I was thinking last year when I was doing four shows a day, I lost my voice really quickly, and the moment you just kind of tweet and go, "Really sorry, but the shows are going to sound." weird mm -hmm. and that night loads of people they brought tunes lockets anything they could oh, find and nice. people will this is part of the free fringe which I think the free fringe PBH's free fringe has a very and probably all the free fringe I don't know the other side of it but I think that thing where you can have a relationship with uh, like people go I've made you some muffins so I thought you'd be hungry because you're doing so many shows or did a, a, a lunchtime science show once and, the, and this, this lady just came up to you she went that was wonderful and she just put five pounds in the bucket and said can I give you a hug I've had so you know those Aww. kind of things I really so, wish I was doing the free favourite audience things then Hmm. Some people made me some biscotti and they were gluten free. That was pretty kind. I get a lot <laughs> of things made for me actually. I really, really do get people. I think that's very the thing kind. is I think that perhaps that that's the reason we do these uh, podcasts so much, as well yeah. is that we are the kind of people that uh, people think. Well, I can't imagine they make a living out of this. We better bring them food <laughs> and gifts. Please help me. I'm all alone in the world. Uh, yeah, I do. All, yeah, I've got some good things. I tell you what happened to me once in the Melbourne Fringe Festival is that this guy. I was doing sing while I was giving out postcards. It's not about the Melbourne Fringe Festival. Right? Oh, well, is it? It's not. Okay, so no one has ever been kind to you at Edinburgh. Is that what you're saying? That your audience there is cruel. Okay, you can do the Melbourne story. Forget it. No, do it. Well, this this guy came and he brought me his massive box, and in it was all these sort of goodies and also all these free address postcards to his friends and relatives. And he was like, "If you want, we're sending you postcards. You can send them postcards." That's Quite that's cool. nice. Yeah, it was wicked. Um, I've had is loads it? of stuff like that. Have you had? Uh, Audience, um, a, really, uh, a really kind Scottish man once gave me £20 to leave the stage. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think I'm very approachable. I don't get given anything. No, nor do I. I no, but you must have had reactions where you've, you've done a show and, and there's something where, again, because all of that wall's kind of broken down, that you're standing in yeah. a bar and there's lots of people there and you can have that interaction. There was once um, when me and Roisin, the very last night of our uh, run, 
um, we had sold one ticket and it was to a, a, a woman with, um, she had n- no hair, she had alopecia and she, she was standing outside, she was pouring down in rain. She was this American woman and I said, oh, we've only sold one ticket, you should go, go and see something else. You can have my pl- pass, go and see anything else. And she went, oh, I've got to get a train at half past nine, so this is the only show I can now fit in. And we were going, you sure don't want to see? And she went, no, please, please do the show for us. Please do the show for us. So she went and sat in the audience and I sobbed in the toilets because I think it was also because it was the end of the fringe. But um, and she was really nice. We ended up having six people in and someone bought some pizza and everybody sat there eating pizza for the show. And it was one of the nicest experiences. Did you use the microphones? It's always weird when those that... I think we did, yeah, yeah, but we had them set quite low. I'm no sound engineer, but I don't like it. You know, when they have a microphone really loud and you think, it's just, it's just for show. You might as well not bother. Rich? Um, there's a lot. I mean, there, there's lots of these things with the podcast. We, we did uh, this morning, Rich, not Judy, uh, that started off as a as a, um, an afternoon show where we just would chat with people and um, and the audience had to bid for tickets and stuff, which was all very good. And, and we gave whoever, <laughs> whoever gave the most money got treated like a king, which we then did on the TV show. But one time, the big issue seller, uh, Murray, who has sadly subsequently died, not as a direct result of this story. Um, he kind of saved up all his... Because you were getting your money double back, I think, or something as well. So he, he realised he saved up all his money and then kind of did this thing and became king of the show and then just got, like, dangerously drunk. We had this, we had this kind of uh, trolley of all this booze and stuff and he just he kind of realised if he, if he kind of gave him his money, he'd get the money back and he would also be able to drink as much as he possibly could in an hour. But we became very good friends with him. It's a really, it's a really sad story because he unfortunately did die of a heroin overdose eventually. But he, um, but he was, I remember him saying to me that the um, when we all turned up, he'd go, you know, this is this is the only bit of my year that's worth being alive for this year. When you, because he did, he was the big issue seller in the Pleasance Courtyard, and and around about there. But it, you know, it was a really kind of connection with this guy we made, who then um, unfortunately then went in one year and he wasn't there and. Took me a week or two to ask people where he was, and it turned out he died, unfortunately. So that's a bit of a sad downer at the end of that story. I well, it's not, though, because it's a very nice, still very nice story. And yeah. So, yes, so if, for those of you who made it through the early negativity of the podcast, <laughs> uh, the uh, yeah, the Edinburgh Fringe Festival probably begins at about the beginning of August, isn't it? Yeah. I'm only up there for two days. It's uh, And where we will be doing a podcast with, I believe, Neil Gaiman and Amanda Palmer. There's our trailer for that. Uh, so um, thank you very much to uh, Izzy, Daniel, and, uh, and Rich, and also thank you to to me and Josie Long. Thank you us. Yeah. Just so I can't say thank to you because we're, we're going to both do it, aren't we? Yeah. Uh, you're listening to an edited version of Utter Shambles. For a specially extended version, check out comedycentral.co.uk slash podcast. I don't normally say things like check out. It doesn't check sound it like out. me. Does it? I don't really <laughs> Just say check out. click on. Yeah, odd, odd. Vibe with us.